everything that you have and let everything that has breath fulfill its purpose of creation and that is to worship an awesome and an almighty God. Because the greatest instrument of worship, the greatest instrument of praise is your heart. And we all know when that instrument is in tune, it sounds so much better. Hi, welcome back to the sanctuary as Pastor Keenan Smith ministers on Destination of Praise. On today's episode, Pastor is focusing in on the most powerful instrument of worship, and that is our heart. So we are praying and believing that today's message will encourage, equip, and draw you closer to God. Let's jump right into the word of the Lord for today. We received a phone call here just a couple of days ago, and it was from Harris County, and they were asking us if our Huffman campus, a church in the area that used to be a a, uh, polling place or a voting place, uh, could not do it anymore. They asked if they could use our campus to, to work with the polls on the election that's coming up here in just a few days. And uh, I opened our campus up to do that because I want to be salt and light to a world around us. And I believe the household of faith has a responsibility to vote. Now, there are some important things on the election. Like one of, our, one of the, uh, the, the, the things that are on there is that the government can shut down the church whenever it deems it necessary. That's, that's one of the, the articles that are on there. So the church needs to rise up. Make sure you understand what you're voting for. And when you read the language, make sure you read it correctly, okay? Because some of it's kind of double speaking. Do you know what I mean? So you think you're voting one thing, but you're voting for another, which should be illegal for them to do that. But they do that anyway to try to, to come to their ends and their means. And as I watched even this morning, the news, I watched this debate on, on different sides of the aisle, so to speak, is what they call it. And it just breaks my heart as I see our nation uh, continuing to be divided in so many areas in so many ways. And, and I see the things that's happening and what we're doing. It just seems like we continue to lose our way again and again and again. And these arguments on, on larger spending bills and the protection of our borders. We're the only country in the world that doesn't protect our borders. And we see this uh, calling in the state of Texas our law enforcement officers to go down and to, to try to protect the borders and we have our National Guard and and trying to protect borders and then we hear the different statements that are made to make us think one thing when actually another thing is happening because they're not telling us about how many people that are totally going unchecked, how much crime, how much sex trafficking, how much drug movement, what's all happening and we're arguing about spending and more subsidies going out uh, to the people that's just out of control and freedoms that of personal choice that is being taken away more and more each and every moment of each every day. Inflation at some of the highest rates that it's been for, well, almost forever. And, and more of that is, is, is over us. And then we see more wars looming on the horizon that's not really being in the forefront, but it's there with what's happening in, in China and those other areas and government leaders that are bent on transforming our nation into a socialistic country, which has never worked anywhere on the face of the planet. And their statements is simply this, because the wrong people were in charge there. If we were in charge, it would work out, but it will not work out and it will never work out because it is an anti-Christ system and therefore it is against the things of God. The Bible says if a man does not work he does not eat I'm not preaching about this stuff today by the way most all of our political leaders I'm not saying all of them but many many of them are 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 simply 
bent, have a desire to maintain their place of power and their place of authority. Now, we see it happening on, quote, unquote, both sides of the aisle that they're redistricting and remapping out things to maintain and to shore up their strengths in certain areas. I say all those things to say this. Don't let those things bother you. Don't let them surprise you. Yes, we should be engaged in the process. Yes, we have a responsibility. Yes, we should do these. But here's where our responsibility really lies. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God says if they'll seek my face and if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then he says he'll hear our cries in heaven. Then he will forgive our sin and then he says he will hear our land. Do you realize this is a call? This is not a call of activation to a world. This is a call of activation to the church, to the body of Christ. If my people who are called by my name would stop acting like fools and start doing what God's word has, has spoken to us to do. God says that we are his ambassadors to a world around us. It's not a message to the lands. It's not a message to the world, but it's a message to you and me, even right now, that if we would, if we would humble ourselves, if we, the body of Christ, would repent of our sin, if we would seek his face, then he says he will hear in heaven and he will heal our land. So I was hoping today, I was praying today that we could have a little bit of honest discussion and look a little bit into the into the areas of our lives that encumber our intimacy with the Lord. I believe worship is more than just an important part of the life of a believer. I believe it is the sustaining factor of that said believer's life. The Bible says, I, I entitled my thoughts today, Destination Praise. Because the Word of God tells us that, that we can... Enter his gates with thanksgiving. We can enter his courts with, we can enter his courts with, come on, I've taught Bible better than that. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving. We can enter his courts with, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. We can enter his courts with, so should not praise be our destination? Should not that be a goal in our life? That intimate connection, that encounter with the King of kings, with the Lord of lords, the one who spoke the stars into existence, that created the heavens and the earth, that formed you out of the dust from this ground and breathed the breath of life into you, and you became a living soul. And he says that we can have an audience with that God. If we would purpose to have a destination of praise. But yet worship seems cumbersome for us sometimes. But it's more than just important. It's a sustaining factor. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen generation. You. You are a royal priesthood. That you are a holy nation. That God calls you his own special people. That you could then proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. How many's been in church for the last, say, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? See what happens again and again. I think we've been in this thing, some, some of us, so long that we forgot what it was like to be out of this thing. That we have forgot the darkness that we were once in. That we have forgotten from which he pulled us out of. 
But it says that we should proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of that darkness, out of that muck and out of that mire and out of that place of absolute lostness. See, I believe sometimes we forget that. That's why we use all our, hey brother, are you saved? Wow, blessings be upon you. And we use all these phrases that a lost world has no idea of what you're talking about. But we do. We understand it. We get it. We got to remember where we once were. That he's called me out of that place of darkness and he's brought me into his marvelous light that I would proclaim the praises of him. Oh, let me help you with something. That says a whole lot right there. See, the, the Greek word translates in that praises. He has called me out of that place of darkness. Let me tell you what that, that word praises means in this context. It's, it's to convey much more. It's you've called me out of darkness into a place of your excellence. It means your virtue, your goodness in action, manifesting the power that's characterized by a God of excellence. That's what it means. That I would be his ambassador, that I would show his excellence, his character, and his integrity to a world around us because he has delivered me. He has saved me. He has set me free. See, God created us for fellowship with him, yes? And one of those avenues, one of those essentials is in our praise and our worship and our connection to him. Now, let me help you with something because so often when we say praise and worship, we think of coming into an incredible song connection like we just had. That's what we think about. That's what we equate it to. But there are many forms of worship. But our purest form of worship, our purest expression of worship, our, our purest connection to the things of God is this. It's focusing on God and responding to the purpose that he has for us in life. That's what worship is. Worship is focusing on the things of God and responding to the destiny, the purpose, the favor, the hand, the anointing, the giftings that he has put upon our lives. See, one of the longest exchanges that we have in the word of God is between Jesus and another person. It's, it's a Samaritan woman that was at the well of Jacob's. It's in the middle of the day when most people wouldn't go to the well. That's why this woman was coming there because she didn't want to have to talk to anybody. And he sat down on the well while the disciples went to grab a burger. And the lady shows up. And he said, excuse me, ma'am, would you get me something to drink? And she said, well, wait a minute. You're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I, you, I don't count. I don't matter. I don't make a difference. Why are you talking to me? And he said, if you knew who was talking to you, then, then you would have asked me to give you water. She said, you ain't got anything. To, you ain't no bucket. You ain't got anything to draw water. He said, no, no. The water I have, if you'll drink of it, you'll never thirst. And she said, well, I want some of that water then. Because I'm tired of being mocked. I'm tired of being ridiculed. I'm tired of feeling like I'm a second-class citizen. I'm tired of doing all that. That's why I come in, in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day, because I, I don't want that. I want what you have. I want what you're saying. I want what you're speaking. I want, I want what you're telling me that could happen. And he said, well, go grab your husband. She said, I'm not married. He said, well, you're honest there because you've been married five times. And the man that you're shacking with right now, you're not married to him either. And she said, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
And then she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus told the woman, he said, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said, you worship what you do not know because she was a Samaritan. He said that, that salvation is to the Jews, but the hour is coming. Now, here's what you got to hear. The hour is coming. The moment of arrival will be here. And poof, now it's arrived. Now is the time. Now is when. This is the moment. There is not going to be another moment in time for you or your family like there is this moment right now. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking those to worship him. And then he says that the God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, she was focusing on, on location, location, location. The three most important things in business. She was focusing on those things. But Jesus was telling her that location is not the main thing. But it's a condition of the heart. See, some of us don't enter into that pure, undefiled place of worship that invokes the presence of God because our heart isn't right and ready. He said, the hour is coming. And now's the time when it can be. Now's the moment when you can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. She is speaking of Locality, he was speaking of logistics. See, it's a moment when your heart enters into his presence. There's nothing more valuable than the presence of God. It's when your heart enters into his presence and his presence enters into your heart. That's what Jesus was talking about. See, it's no coincidence that they were standing on the very dirt that they were standing on that they were standing at, at Jacob's well. It's no coincidence that they're discussing worship. Because 1,700 years earlier, Jacob had blessed his son Judah about his praise. Yes, Judah means worship. Judah means praise. In Genesis chapter 49, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. He said, you are like a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from prey, my son, like a lion that's crouching and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to arouse it? There is no greater fear that the enemy has than a heart that is wakened to worship. Than a heart that is wakened and filled with the presence of Almighty God. See, it's a heart encounter. It's what worship is. It's a heart encounter. It's a heart of worship. It's a heart that longs for the presence of God. It's a heart of compassion. It's a heart that's, that's moved into action. The psalmist writes in, in 150 and I talk about this often. I talked about it Friday. So we had a funeral here Friday for a member of our church, 26 years old, mother of a new five-month-old baby boy. Shay Bergeron. I baptized her right up there. 
I dedicated her, I watched her weep at the altar in this church. Three weeks ago or whatever it was, she stood right here. And I anointed her and her little son drained him with oil. And she dedicated that child to the Lord. And I talked about this scripture. See, the Psalms, there's 150 of them, 149 of them. They just paint a portrait of every human emotion known to mankind. There's love and conquest and war and loss and betrayal and love found and love lost. It's all, it's all in there. And it all culminates right here in this 150th chapter. And it goes down to that last and final entry in the book of Psalms that gives us the purpose and the meaning of life. Why you're here this moment and why you tread this planet Earth. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpets. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine. Praise him with dance. Praise him with strings. Praise him with the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding symbols. And then it gives us the purpose and the meaning that you're here today. The purpose and the meaning that we walk this planet. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You, my friends, were created for worship. You was created to glorify and give praise. To exhibit the resounding majesty of an almighty God to a world around us. You were created to worship. The greatest instrument of worship though, it's not these things. It's this thing. The greatest instrument of worship is your heart. See, we often fall in that trap of how we feel. You know, if we're not too busy, we'll try to make it. If we don't have other things going, if the kids don't have this, if that's not happening, if, if I'm rested up, I've got to work Monday. I've got to, we come up with all kinds of things of how we feel and where we are and everything else. And I understand the busyness of life. Trust me, I understand the busyness of life. I understand that. See, but we have conditionalized ourselves into a thinking that worship is more about us than it is about God. That's why we got upset because somebody didn't answer our question at the child's check-in or, or somebody didn't open the door for us adequate enough. And by the way, let me tell you something. We should be welcoming every person we see on these properties. You should be talking to them about how their day is, how they're going. Don't, you don't have to sit in your little group of who you normally talk to because you normally talk to them all the time. Look for somebody that you haven't met yet. Look for somebody you haven't seen. When somebody walks into the foyer and they're going, then that's your clue. Go love on them. That should be happening, not just from our greeting team, not just from those that are opening the doors, not just, it should be happening from each and every one of us. Well, pastor, I hear you, but you don't understand. I've had a tough week. Well, change it. Change your mind, change your attitude, change your expression. 
See, we worship depending on where we are, how we feel, if everything's going our way, what song or what style is, is being played, if we're in the mood for it or not. If the service isn't too long, I'm, 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 I'm going to preach faster, I promise. <laughs> if the service isn't too short, if, if the volume of the music is, is not too loud or it's not too soft, if the volume of the people is displayed, if it's not. See, we allow all these things, these aspects to enter into our thinking. Even when we don't want them to, they affect us. They all influence our, our spirit, man. Because they touch our soul. They're determining factors of whether we show a, a spirit of excitement or whether we just come in with kind of a reflective attitude. Because I see it a lot. I'm telling you, I... I, I I'm a, I'm a worship guy. That's what I do. I, I, I love worship. I, some of y'all remember uh, our dear Peggy Satherly, who was my assistant for many years, and she was transformative in so many ways. And I don't walk into this sanctuary that I don't see her right over there in that corner. And she's spinning around, and she's dancing before the Lord in worship. I love expression of worship. I love the men that are not ashamed to lift their hands and let tears run down their cheeks. I love the ladies that are not afraid to bow before an awesome God. I love the expression of worship. I love the, the attitude and the excitement of worship. But let me give you just a little, a little dark secret about most of us. I know a lot of secrets. I'm going to share one today. I know some of you are getting cold sweats right now. Here's a little dark secret about ourselves. It's most of the time we want to accommodate us. Most of the time. It's more about ourselves. Not always our fault. It's just the way we are. We just kind of wired that way. That's why we have to, because we, we want to tend to the flesh. That's why we have to defeat the flesh and we have to nurture the spirit. Because sacrifice is uncomfortable. It's not easy. Now, I know, we're all different. Yes, we're all different. But yet, we're all the same. We're all the same in so many ways. And as we come into that corporate worship setting, for instance, church, we come in with those certain levels of expectation that's, that's predetermined. It's predetermined from when you first made a decision that you would be here. It's predetermined by our, our traditions. How many of you received a communion cup when you came in? Okay, if you did not, you can lift your hand and an usher will get one to you. But some of us don't like these cups. You know why? Because they're not those glass cups. You know those glass cups that sit in the communion tray? And you pass it down, you have those glass cups that are in the communion tray. Then you have that little saucer in the middle that's got those little square, little biscuit-like things in there that's just about this big, you know. And that's how you always did it. How many of you, how many of you like those? Because they're just more reverent than these plastic things. We like those because we've been conditioned with that. And so we're going to give out, you know, 500 or 700 or however many of those, of those little glass cups. And I'm going to need you to stay and wash all those afterwards. You know what, Pastor? These cups aren't bad. They're not. They're, 
We'll learn to adjust. Traditions that we have. And we make our traditions holy and they're not. Our likes and our dislikes. Are our needs being fulfilled? Are our needs being met? And then, of course, we have that expectation because I invited a friend and please, please, God, don't let anybody do something stupid today. <laughs> I want to try to make a good impression. I don't need somebody running around the church shouting hallelujah and doing all I don't, not today. Not today. Let us just, just be a, a nice day. And then it's our kids' attitudes. Oh, they wouldn't get up this morning. I had to fight them. I had to do this. I had to do that. I had to, it's called parenting. You're the one that chose to have the fun making the little fun suckers, and then now you complain about it. Now deal with it. But we look at how the how the kids are responding, how they're acting, and you know what? You know what? When I was a child, my aunt took me to church, Church of Christ. That was the only background I had in church. And you know what? It wasn't optional. She didn't say, do you feel like going to church today? <laughs> and by the way, let me tell you, she didn't have to worry about somebody not answering her questions at the child's check-in because there was no child check-in. You sit in the pew and you shut up. Yes. And if you didn't, <sighs> but we always had a little plastic baggie of Cheerios. And so you knelt down at that pew, not because you was being holy or righteous, because you knelt down at that pew, because you, th those Cheerios not only became your snack, they became your army man, they became everything else, you know, <laughs> while you try to entertain yourself, while they sing one more chorus of just as I am, I come to thee. And um, that's the way it worked. And you know what? She didn't value my opinion at all. It didn't matter. We come to church if our schedule allows, if, if we're, we're not too tired, if, if this is all happening, if, then we'll engage in worship. So, so here's something that we need to get. In our lives as believers, our worship, listen to me, church. Our worship should be taking place every moment of every day of our lives. It's not just about here. This isn't a place, the only place that worship happens. It should be happening every moment of every day of our life. Now you say, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. It's simply by the acknowledgement of God's greatness, of his excellence, of his supremacy in our lives. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God in our sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him with the acts of power. Praise him with the surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpets. Praise him with the harp, the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine, the dance, the praise, the strings, the flutes. Praise him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise him with everything that you have. And let everything that has breath fulfill its purpose of creation. And that is to worship an awesome and an almighty God. Because the greatest instrument of worship, the greatest instrument of praise is your heart. And we all know when that instrument is in tune, it sounds so much better.
And that's when worship takes place. It's when that instrument is in tune. When it's where it needs to be. When we focus our attention on the God of the universe. When we evoke the presence of God and we step into his heartbeat and he steps into ours. When we honor him, when we magnify him, when we acknowledge that he is worthy, understanding these principles, that that is what matures us from the milk to the meat of God is a heart of worship. See, we in the church world, we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to look at effect rather than cause. That's why we'll look at somebody who's dancing, whose hands are raised, who's praying in the spirit, who, who, and we equate them to, that's a spiritual person. And then we'll look at someone who's not. Like, you know, I love to dance. And I love, I love some of my, my, my friends and they're not quite as expressive as I am and I'm not quite as expressive as other people are. And, you know, of course, you know, if you, depending on what background you come from because we're conditioned. We're conditioned from, from our backgrounds and our influences and our history. And I got a good friend of mine, you know, he's Baptist to the bone and, and he'll be dancing in church. Oh, he's just, I mean, he's worshiping. I mean, he's cutting loose. See, we'll look around and we'll judge somebody because they're not doing what we think is spiritual. And we'll judge them. We'll equate that as not being surrendered to the Spirit. Because we look at effect rather than cause. Here's what you have to understand. Is that you're lying. You're lying of praise. Your line of worship, the one that the enemy fears to be awakened, is not found in your expression of praise. It's found in your heart of praise. What's it take to win the game? Miles and miles of heart. Movie quote, anybody? The replacement players. Miles and miles of heart. That's how you worship God is with your heart. It's not just in, but I'm telling you, I, I, I can't sit still. I can't do it. I can't, I gotta, I gotta move around. I gotta, I gotta have something. I gotta lift my hands. I gotta move my feet a little bit. I gotta, it's that instrument of being tuned to the things of God. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen because it's only about works. See, if the heart's not right, the effect doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If the heart's not right, none of the action. See, it only becomes works then. See, I love my expression of, expression of praise. And that can be in, in a song. That can be in a, in a shout. That can be in just sitting quietly before the Lord. I've been in those times when I've knelt on my face before God in a room filled for, with people, but yet I was all alone. It's in that moment of overwhelming awe. It's in that walk of integrity and character manifesting in your life. It's in that witness to your neighbor or the person at the grocery store. 
That heart of praise is found in just your acts of loving kindness to one another. That heart of praise is found in that moment of compassion. However, I've seen people, some of you have too, that, that they, they have the manifestation. Oh yeah, they show the symptoms, but they don't have the infection of the things of the Spirit. In life, and they become very scary people. A lot scarier than Halloween. They become very, very scary people because they have a wrong heart because they're self-motivated and self-driven. And there's a spirit upon them that's not the spirit of God. It is a spirit of selfishness, not selflessness. So that present day anointing, it's not just a song. It's not just a style. It's not just a feeling. It's not just the programming or the mechanics that we have of a service. But the hour is coming. And now is the time. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For that's who the Father is seeking to worship him. So if worship is indeed focusing on God and responding to his purpose in me. God let my life count. Let me fulfill that which you have purposed, designed, and destined in me. Let me not miss my moments, therefore I will not miss my destiny. If that's what worship is, why do we go days sometimes without truly seeking him? Why do we go days without seeking who God is in our life? That moment of encounter, that exploring what God has done for us. See, that's why when a midweek service rolls around sometimes in our Wednesday nights, and, and, and that's why Sunday arrives. And some of us so desperately need it, and we do. Before God, we do. Because we need each other. And we must learn to get past those obstacles of our praise, those things that hinder us. And we need to get into that place of worship in that heart tuned with him that we find his presence because there is nothing. I said there is nothing like the presence of God and there is nothing. I'm not happy with what our nation looks like right now, but I fully understand and aware of this. There is nothing that changes a nation. There is nothing that changes the people thereof. There is nothing that changes the body of Christ like a church that's seeking nothing more than his presence. That's what transforms worlds. You had a little communion cup. I want you to find it wherever it was, wherever you laid it, wherever you put it. It's just a plastic disposable cup. It's not the nice glass cups that you may have been used to, but I'm not washing them. <laughs> Jesus gathered with his disciples. At that moment, at that time that he instituted what we call the Last Supper, what we call communion. 
And they gathered around the table and they were eating. And it wasn't the picturesque look that so many of us see in that portrait where all the guys are on the same side of the table. They were spread out in the room. They were around. They were discussing. They were talking about other things. Things that happened in the past. Things that looked towards the future. They were arguing about who would be the greatest. Who was dad's favorite. You know, they were, they were, all these things were happening. And, and Jesus paused for a moment and, and he took a piece of bread. And it says in the word of God that, that, that he broke it. It wasn't like this. But it was probably a disc more shaped like a tortilla. And he tore it in half of unleavened bread. And he passed it to one who passed it to another, who passed it to the next. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he blessed it. And he said, take and, and eat of this. See, earlier he had said, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my body, then you have no part of me. And it says that many left him that day. They stopped following him because they said, this is a hard teaching. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about he's all or nothing. That you take him in, that, that he becomes part of you and you part of him. The heart of worship is finding the heart of God and letting God find yours. He broke it. And he gave to his disciples and he said, take eat. This is my body. It says, and then he took the cup. Now I want to spend a moment on this. Everything I've said boils to this moment right here. I want you to hear me, church. He took a cup. You know, that's one thing I would say that some churches have done right in a way, but understand in their trying to be right, they develop it into works and deeds. And, but they would take a chalice and everyone would come and they would sip from that same chalice. This is what happened on this day. Listen to what he said. He said he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now, this wasn't so that we could have a germ exchange. It wasn't what it was. But it's so that you would understand this principle and this purpose. He said, for this is my blood of the new covenant. A covenant of mercy. A covenant of forgiveness. A covenant of grace. Let me tell you, it's so easy for me to extend grace to people because I'm a big screwball and I understand it and I know it. So I realize I need a whole lot of grace. So it's easy for me to give grace to someone else. But sometimes, sometimes we get so righteous about things we don't do. I don't do that. I don't participate in those things. Oh, well, that work makes you really righteous, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Because it's a wrong heart. If that's how we're portraying it. I'm not saying that we don't come apart and be separate. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying if you've got to tout it that you're better than someone else, then you don't understand this. That's why he said, drink of it. And what they had to understand, it was a cup. He said, I want you to drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of my new covenant that is shed for the remission of sins. They took a drink of it. They couldn't drink it all. He gave them instruction. No, no, you can't drink it all. You have to all drink of it. So you, you can't drink it all for yourself. It's not all about you. You got to keep some of that grace. You got to keep some of that mercy. You got to keep some of that, that, that purpose. You got to keep some of that destiny so that you can hand to the one beside you. And so they take a drink of it. And they can't drink all of the grace. They can't drink all of the mercy. They can't take all the purpose. They can't take all the destiny because they're going to hand it to the person beside them. Jesus didn't die just for you. We've taught that. We've taught that in our church for so long. He would have, but he didn't. If it was just you. See, we forget that part of that phrase that so many pastors say. If it was just you on the whole planet, Jesus would have died. Yes, he would have, but he didn't. He died for us. So that I could drink of the cup and that I could give some to the person next to me. See, that's what the church has forgotten. That's why we've thought worship was about us. It's sort of about him. About the person next to us. And then we've conditionalized that thinking by handing individual cups to everyone in church so they drink of it and they're done with it. But my prayer is today that this changes every moment of communion for the rest of your life. That when you sip of this emblem of his blood, that you realize I have a responsibility to the person that is next to me to give them some of that same grace, some of that same mercy, some of that same life, some of that same purpose, some of that same forgiveness. that he has given me. Church, would you stand to your feet? Lord, bless this emblem. God, I give you praise because you have called me out of that place of darkness into your marvelous light. And I realize that with this cup, I have a responsibility to share it with the one next to me. Let's drink of it together. says they drank of the cup and then it says in verse 30 that they worshipped I'm going to ask you if 
this means anything to you. That you find a place, just a moment, of worship. That you try to find the heart of God. That you allow Him to find yours. As we worship, just a moment. You've been listening to Pastor Keenan Smith, Senior Pastor at Crosby Church in Crosby, Texas. We would love for you to come visit us at one of our campuses, either our Huffman campus or our Crosby location, where we are family. And the door is always open to you. We would also love to connect with you online. Visit us at www.crosbychurch.com and get all the information right there, or you can download our app. Just go to the App Store, type in Crosby Church, and click on the logo, and stay connected with everything Crosby Church has. This message is sponsored in part with listeners and supporters like you. If you would love to give online, go to our app or our website and click the Giving tab. All the instructions are laid out on how you can deliver the message forward with your financial gift. We are so thankful that you chose to tune in with us today, and we cannot wait to have you back. Same time, same place next week. God bless you. We will see you soon.